following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. We're studying end time Bible prophecy and you know, people are curious, particularly in the day and time we're living and what's going on in our nation and what's going on all around the world and we ought to be. We really ought to be. And somebody told me over at the hotel today, Brother Tracy, I was talking to them about, I gave them one of our cards, and they said, that's scary. They said, it is scary. And well, if you're saved, Bible prophecy ought not be scary. Amen? And I can understand why it would be for a lost person. I, I truly can. But if you're saved, it ought to excite you uh, that Jesus is coming, because that's what it's about, is about him. Amen? And it also ought to motivate us to witness and tell everybody we can about him because he could be coming really soon. Well, how many of you brought your Bibles with you tonight? Okay. All right. And there's some handouts that I've put together that are out on the tables and such. If you haven't picked them up, pick some up on your way out and we'll have a couple more tomorrow night. And I'm saving the best for last. I'm going to preach on the rapture Wednesday night. Amen. And everybody, I know everybody's waiting on that message, and I understand. And uh, we'll we'll get to it, believe me. And we'll also deal with his return back to the earth, the second coming also. And I'm already looking forward to preaching on that. If the Lord doesn't come before then, amen? And if he does, I'll just see you up there. I'll see you in the air. But uh, but we'll keep plugging until he comes. Take your Bibles tonight. We're going to look at a lot of places, and I want to warn you ahead of time that my introduction to this message is as long as my message. All right, and so so just be prepared for that. And but but know this: once I get past the introduction, you can kind of take a sigh and say, "Okay, it won't be long now. We're about, <laughs> we're almost there." Okay, but take your Bibles tonight to start with and turn to Zechariah the twelfth chapter, and also to Psalms eighty three. And uh, you might as well go ahead and find Ezekiel thirty eight because that's where we're eventually going to end up and where I'm really pulling my message from. But uh, Zechariah twelve verses one through three, Psalms eighty three verses one through five. And then uh, then we'll get into Ezekiel a little bit later, okay? So we'll start with Zechariah 12. And I want to invite you, if you would please, to stand with me out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. In Zechariah, the 12th chapter, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, The burden of the word of the Lord for who? Israel, saith the Lord, which stretched forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people around about. And they shall be in a siege against Judah and against Jerusalem. This is talking about in the future. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. In other words, kind of in the way, in the way of other nations for all people. See that? And all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of, all the people of the earth, y'all to underline this Bible, will be gathered together against it or against them. Alright, hang on to that. Turn over to Psalms, uh, Psalms 83. Psalms chapter 83. And I want to read just a few verses of this chapter. Beginning at verse 1, he says, Keep not thou silence, O God, hold not thy peace, 
and be not still, O God, for lo, thy enemies make atonement, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people, talking about the Jews, talking about Israel, and they've consulted against thy hidden ones. Does this sound familiar about anything that's happened recently? Amen. And it says, and they have said, come let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent, and they are confederate against thee against God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time to be in this place tonight. Father, we thank you tonight that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who will believe. Father, we thank you tonight for the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary's cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that through Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, that we can be forgiven of our sins and we can have eternal life. And so, Father, tonight I pray you would speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone in this building, and I'm sure there is, in this building tonight that doesn't know Christ, I pray that the Spirit of God would convict them. I pray you would draw them. I pray they would see their need tonight to surrender their lives to Jesus. And Father, I pray for every born-again believer in this house that we would examine our lives, examine our walk, and Father, that we might draw closer to you. So, Father, have your way tonight. Speak to hearts. I pray you'd revive your people. I pray you'd save the lost. And I pray Jesus will be lifted up and glorified through all of it. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, on October the 7th, just a few months ago, we were all awakened to the news that Israel had been attacked by Hamas which is a Islamic Palestinian terrorist organization which is funded and fueled by Iran. Over 1,300 people were killed overnight and 150 of them were kidnapped and taken away and several, uh, several more uh, Israelis were injured. Well, they, they sprang this surprise attack upon Israel from the air uh, uh, from the ground, again, killing civilians, killing children and little babies uh, and families and kidnapping several. This is the worst attack on Israel uh, since the Jewish Holocaust, and it's described by some as Israel's 9-11. Now, Israel has attacked back, as we all know, and rightfully so. They had to. They have to. And they've got to finish the job. Amen? And they have vowed to destroy Hamas. And I'm certain that Israel will prevail. And we all need to be praying for Israel. The Bible tells us to pray for Israel and to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we ought to be praying for them and for this war every single day. Well, immediately... After this happened, many who are familiar with, with Bible prophecy begin to ask, hey, is what going on over in Israel, is this Ezekiel 38 and 39 being fulfilled? And I want to quickly answer that. The answer is no, it's not. Because Ezekiel 38 and 39, known as the Battle of Gog and Magog, which we will look at in detail in just a little bit, Russia is the leader of that attack. 
against Israel along with several other Islamic allies. It will be the final attack on Israel. I believe that's what we read over in Psalms 83 and what we looked at in Zechariah chapter 12. The final attack on Israel and it will be of a worldwide magnitude. And Israel, if you think about it, friend, they do not have one friend around them. They do not have one ally that borders them or it's anywhere near near them. We are the only ally they have, and we're wavering greatly on that tonight. Amen? So it'll be the final attack. They are surrounded only by enemies, only by adversaries. And again, the only ally they have is the United States of America. And I just pray that we'll continue to stand with them and support them and not waver. Well, all of these nations that surround Israel over there in the Mideast, they have one goal in mind, all of them. They all agree together. They want to destroy Israel. They want to wipe Israel off the map. They want to annihilate Israel, God's chosen people. They hate Israel, and they hate us, by the way. Amen? And according to Psalms 83 and Ezekiel 38, which again, I believe are talking about the same end-time event, the nations of the world will one day join forces together with Russia taking the lead, and they will attack Israel unlike ever before. And we see that in Zechariah 12 as well. It says Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling. It'll become a burdensome stone, and we recognize that even right now. Amen? Uh, to other nations of the world. And it says that all the people of the earth will be gathered against it. So what we're going to do tonight is, is we're going to look at that battle in detail, that future battle, Ezekiel 38 in just a little bit. But before we do, I want us to understand why is it that the nations of the world hate Israel so much. Man, it really disturbs me of the anti-Semitism that we see rising in America now. Amen? College uh, campuses and all over the place are anti-Israel, anti-Jewish. Well, why, why is that? And why do the Arabs and why do the Palestinians and why does Iran want to eliminate Israel. I think we need to understand this and it'll help us understand what's going on over there right now and the whole reason they attacked back in October. I'm going to give you several things here and I'm still in my introduction, okay? Number one, number one, because they hate the Jews. Amen? They hate the Jews. Satan hates the Jews. He has tried for centuries to wipe them off the face of the earth. Right? And Israel is the only nation in the world, if you think about it, that came back to life, so to speak, back to existence, May the 14th, 1948, uh, when they were reestablished as a Jewish state. And ever since then, they have prospered in great ways in their land because of God's blessings and God's favor upon the nation. Amen? Well, Satan hates the Jews because he hates Jesus. Amen? Jesus was a Jew. Jesus came from the loins of Abraham. He was called the son of David. And Satan hates Jesus and he hates the Jews. Here's another reason uh, they want to take the land of Israel. Because of oil and fuel. Oil and fuel. Now you're not going to hear this on, on the secular news media. Amen? But because of oil and fuel. Energy's the currency of our day, isn't it? And in order to control the Mideast, 
Israel has to go. All right. They have vast reserves of oil and gas that have been discovered in very significant quantities in Israel. Natural gas and oil. So much that Israel, if they wanted to, they could easily become an exporter and they could make billions and billions and billions of dollars. Six different oil companies have been drilling over there because they were inspired by some Old Testament passages in the Bible to do so, and they believe that Israel has enough natural gas and oil to supply the entire Middle East. So oil and fuel. Here's another reason they, they want to take Israel, because of minerals from the Dead Sea. Minerals from the Dead Sea. Have any of you all ever been over there and been to the Dead Sea? And uh, I've been over there several times, and, I, and I'll be going over there again, Lord willing, next week we'll be headed over there. And uh, I've never gotten in the Dead Sea, but I've gone down there with the folks that have, and, and I just don't want I just don't want to get in it. But anyway, you know, you get in there and you just float. You know, you can't sink in it, amen? It's impossible. You just lay her on your back. You don't need an air mattress. You don't need anything. You can float in that thing all day long. Well, there, there, people come from all over the world just to float in that Dead Sea, just to put some of that mud and smear it all over their skin and stuff because of healing agents and such that they believe are contained in the minerals of the Dead Sea. But I found out some other things about it. The Dead Sea is 25 miles east of Jerusalem. It's 53 miles long. It's 10 miles wide, 13,000 feet deep at its greatest depth, and it's 1,300 feet below sea level. Now, some have estimated that, that, that the minerals from the Dead Sea is worth as much as five trillion, that's with a T, trillion dollars. It contains so many minerals that they're very valuable for growing food and, and, and would be in great demand. So they've, scientists have discovered so many things about the minerals in the Dead Sea. Well, that's another reason everybody wants Israel, all right? Another reason is what the realtors say. Location, location, location. Amen? Israel has an ideal location in the Mideast. You think about how small that little piece of real estate is. If you look on a map, it's so small compared to everything else, but it's so mighty and so significant in God's plan. Amen? And it actually is a land bridge between the Mideast. Africa, Asia Minor, Russia. Uh, Russia needs a, a, uh, a warm water port for their ships and submarines. Israel would be perfect for that, all right? Here's another reason they want Israel, food and produce, food and produce. I never will forget the first time my wife and I ever went over there. It was 1997, and I remember we got out there in the in the Jezreel Valley and Jericho and, and look at all these lush green fields and all of the fruit trees and all of the vegetables. I mean, just unbelievable. And Israel provides 90% of the citrus fruit for Europe. Farms abound everywhere in Israel. The Jewish people have learned to convert salt water into fresh water, and they replenish their land. The deserts in Israel don't look like a desert. They're blossoming and they're blooming with fruit and produce unlike anywhere in the world. They have developed a drip irrigation system that produces bumper crops year after year after year. Year, you know, when the Arabs had control of that land, it was a wasteland. 
I mean, you, I mean, it was worse than a desert. It was a wasteland. And when the Jews went back and took it back, God just blessed. Amen? Because it's their land. It belongs to them. Amen? It belongs to them. All right? Well, here's another reason people want Israel is livestock, poetry, and fish. Now, it's a miracle what's happened there since they were reestablished as a nation. It's, it, I mean, it's, just, it, it, it's a miracle. But the land has just blossomed. It has just bloomed. Not only in fruit and vegetables, but livestock, poetry, fish. I mean, all of this is industry that they have, and it's very, very prosperous. And of course, it feeds people. Amen? Most of these Arab nations, man, they're starving. They're living in poverty. I mean, there's nothing good about it. Amen? And here's little Israel sitting over there just blossoming and, and doing so well. All right, and that brings my next point, prosperity and money. Prosperity and money. The prestige and prosperity of the Jews have motivated a hatred for them by the other countries. The population of Israel right now is 9 million. At least 8 million are Jewish. That's in Israel, all right? Their economy is excellent. Their economy is growing. None of their enemies' economy is growing. Amen? Uh, Iran gets a little extra money every now and then, thanks to our president. Amen? And we want like to funnel money through them. And by the way, when Hamas attacked, uh, that money that Iran used for that, it was funded by the United States of America. We ought not stand for that stuff. So, uh, amen? Why do we put up with that stuff? But that's what, that's what happened. That's where it come from. All right. And so they are just, Israel is just growing. Many Jewish families, they say, have three cars. Now I'm not talking, I'm not talking about two of them sitting in the yard with grass growing up around the wheels off of them. Amen. I'm not talking about Arkansas where I live or, and, uh, or portions of Louisiana. No, I'm talking about BMWs, Mercedes, that kind of stuff. All right. And, uh, and most of them have, have three cars. And, uh, not only that, they have nice homes. A lot of them are very highly educated. They say Israel's number one in the world for citizens having PhDs. So very, very educated. Some of those brilliant thinkers have come from Israel. All right. And then here's the main reason. I've given you all of these to get to this one, the city of Jerusalem. That's it. Zechariah 12, verses 1 through 3 that we looked at earlier. This is the key prize of Israel. The, the world's three major religions all lay claim to Israel, and they fought battles over for, for the last 3,000 years. However, as we believe the Bible, friends, Jerusalem belongs to the Jews. Amen? It belongs to Israel, and it's very special to them. It's special to God, and God promised it to them. You know... Abraham offered Isaac there. There were two Jewish temples there at one time. And by the way, after the rapture of the church, there's going to be a third one built there. Amen? During the tribulation period. And there were two temples there. That's where Christ was crucified. Uh, that's where he was uh, buried and resurrected. And that's where he ascended from the Mount of Olives back to heaven from. Amen? Well, everybody wants Jerusalem. 
They want that country. Now, those are the main reasons. I know there's others, but those are the main reasons that, that I have been able to find. And, you know, Russia has all of a sudden come on the scene again pretty popular the last year or so, haven't they? And uh, they've made friends with the Muslims. And Russia and Iran are now buddies. Have you noticed that? They've made some agreements together in exchange, by the way, for nuclear weapons. And if you don't think these other countries have nuclear weapons, friend, you've got another thing coming. Amen? Listen, Russia is very weak and declined their economy. I've been told that you can't even hardly afford to buy a loaf of bread in Russia. It's that bad. And they say that's one of the primary reasons they attacked Ukraine. Ukraine's the number one producer in the world of wheat. And so that's why they attacked them, and they want to take them and bring them back and make them part of their their own kingdom. And I believe there's other reasons involved in that as well. But anyway, friends, uh, you've got all this Islamic money from Iran and et cetera, and they sell and they buy nuclear weapons and fighter jets to Iran. Also, uh, Russia and China, of all people, have formed a pact together. Amen? And uh, China's bought up land all over the United States. Uh, I don't know what your all's governor has done. My, my governor, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she put a bill in the place where China cannot buy any land in Arkansas. They already have, I'm sure, before then. And Oklahoma has a major issue with that. Christy Nome out in South Dakota, great governor. Man, she, she, I think she was the first one to put it in place that they could not buy any land. And uh, they shouldn't be allowed to buy an inch of property in the United States. Amen? But they've got land. And they've got, they've got farms and, and they've got land next to military bases. China does. And some of the elite globalists of our day and time, like Bill Gates, and what's what's the guy that that owns Facebook, Zucker, whatever, whatever his name is. Okay, you know these guys are building underground, major underground bunkers. Did you know that? That's fact. They're building underground bunkers. I wonder why. They know they know something. Amen. And so here we got China, we've got Russia, we've got Iran, we've got other countries, and eventually China, I think, will be a part of that end-time coalition against Israel. They want to take over us. They want to take over the world. And the Islamic faith, friends, wants to conquer Israel, and they want to conquer us, the Western world. I'm sure you saw this on the news. I, re- I think it was Saturday, uh, Saturday or Sunday, uh, that... Uh, they closed down the bridge between Memphis, Tennessee, and Arkansas. It goes over the Mississippi River because of protesters for for Hamas, for the Palestinians. They closed for several hours. Closed down. You know what should have happened? Every one of them should have been arrested, put in handcuffs immediately, and hauled to jail. Amen. But because of their their uh, city mayor and such, none of that type of stuff happened. But that we're seeing that happening, that kind of stuff happening every week, and it's going to get more and more frequent. Uh, I'm afraid. All right. Now that's the introduction. All right. Are y'all with me? Say Amen. That's the introduction. Now let's move on to the scripture as we consider tonight Israel under attack. 
Israel under attack. Many believe that the rider of the red horse in Revelation chapter 6 may be uh, introducing this battle, which I believe is going to happen right after the rapture, right after the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. So let's look at a couple things tonight. First of all, let's look at the attack. The attack. Go over to Ezekiel 38 now. And remember, this is future. We're not talking about the attack right now. This attack right now could be a prelude of this. Amen? Because it parallels it in some ways, but it's not this actual event. But I want us to look at this future event, the attack, Ezekiel 38. And friends, this is a very fierce, major battle with a coalition of nations led by Russia will attack Israel in the latter days. In the latter days, it will take place. So look at verse 1, Ezekiel 38, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I'm against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thy army and horses and horsemen, all them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields and all of them uh, handling swords. Now look at some of the nations, and we'll come back and describe them in a moment. Persia, that's Iran, by the way. Persia's their ancient name. Uh, uh, Persia, Iran, Ethiopia. Libya with them, and all of them with shield and helmet. Uh, Gomer and all of his bands, the house of Togomar, and the north quarters, and all his bands. And look at this, many people with thee. So there's more than what's just mentioned here. Be thou prepared, and prepare thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thy guard unto them. Now look at verse 8. After many days thou shalt be visited... In the latter years, that's talking about the end of times, okay? In the latter years, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people, talking about Israel, against the mountains of Israel, which have have uh, 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 always waste, and it was brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Israel will be safe at that time uh, when this happens. There won't be a battle going on. And thou shalt ascend and come like a storm, and thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands. And here it is again, many people with thee. For thus saith the Lord, I shall also it shall also come to pass that at that same time thy shall come, uh, things shall come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, as Israel's living in safety and peace. And I will go to them that are rest and and dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Why? To take a spoil, to take prey, to turn thy hand up on the desolate places that are now inhabited, upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten what? Cattle. Goods, remember we just talked about all this, that dwell in the midst of the land, all right? And I encourage you to get home tonight, just read the whole chapter and read on down there. So we see the attack. This is known as the battle of Gog and Magog. It's the attack, the final attack, the final battle upon the nation of Israel. Now, let's identify some of this. First of all, he talks about the land of Gog and Magog and Rosh. This is Russia and their leader. They lead this battle. Moscow, Russia, if you look on a map, is directly due north of Jerusalem. 
directly due north, all right? And most of these nations that are listed, they're listed with their ancient names, all right? A lot of them have changed their names over the years and over the centuries. And then he mentions Meshach and Tubal, Gomer, Togomar. Uh, most scholars believe these are all parts of modern-day Turkey and Germany over, over in that part, all right? And then Persia, I've already mentioned. That's Iran, again, who are funding this current attack by Hamas, and uh, again, we have helped finance some of that. It's just un- unbelievable. And you know, Iraq, uh, I mean Iran, I start to say Iraq, and by the way, they've come back into the picture, amen? But Iran has acquired some mighty sophisticated military equipment that got left in Afghanistan from the United States, Amen? And they have, uh, they have some of that equipment. How convenient that was for them, and I believe intentional. Amen? And Iran has plenty of nuclear weapons. And so does Russia. And so does China. And so does North Korea. So does Israel. And the United States has some too. All right. And so then we see Ethiopia. I've been, I was telling Brother Gary, I've been to Ethiopia a couple of times myself to preach and in Africa. That include Africa and Sudan. And, and I tell you what I've seen when I've been over in Africa. I was in Malawi, Africa this past July and possibly be going again this next July. And I'm telling you, China's trying to take over Africa. I mean, everywhere you look, you see these big, expensive, massive buildings and things. Well, Africa doesn't have any money. They don't have well, Who built it? I'll tell you who built it. China did. Amen? And they're pouring money into the African government and such uh, like crazy. Why? They want to take them over. Amen? They want to take them over. And so we see that. And then look what he says down here. He says, many others with them. As we read in verses 6 through 9, that can involve several other nations, most likely Islamic nations. And Israel surrounded by them, by Islamic nations. And they have no friends in the Mideast, as I mentioned earlier. Again, I, I, Psalms 83 that we read together earlier, that, that deals with that. that. I believe it's talking about this very battle uh, right here. And although China is not specifically mentioned here, that would be the king from the east, he is mentioned over in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, and Revelation chapter 9, verse 16, it talks about the kings from the east. No doubt that is China, and they have the largest military in the world world, and I believe they'll be joining forces with them. Now, that brings me down to this. Where is the United States? Well, friends, the truth is this. As far as I know, and the experts that I, that I follow and such, the United States is never, ever mentioned in Bible prophecy. Now, there's been all kinds of speculations and such, saying this might be the United States. I, I get that, but the truth is it's not. A guy that I follow who I trust is Joel Rosenberg. You all ought to watch the Rosenberg Report. You can get it on the Internet. You can find it on TV. Rosenberg is a Messianic Jew, and he used to work in the administration over at the prime minister in Israel. He, he is an American citizen, but he also lives in, in Israel, and he's, he's an excellent prophecy uh, guy. And this is what he said. He said, the United States is just nowhere to be found in the Bible. 
Now, I realize we didn't exist when the Bible was written. Amen. I understand that. But so did a lot of other nations. Amen. And the, the, the Bible's more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. And uh, so God has a plan. And, friend, we're just not mentioned. And I, I tell you, I, I, I don't like that any more than you do. I love America. Man, I, I'm a flag-waving American citizen. Amen. And I love the USA. I'm a patriot. I love the United States of America. I don't like what's happening in the United States of America and what's happening to our country. But nevertheless, the fact remains. Now, there could be a few reasons why the United States may not be mentioned. Uh, number one, and this is hard to swallow, folks, but we, we got to face up to this. The United States may not exist anymore. May not exist. I'm going to give you my personal opinion. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to give it. I don't think we're going to exist a whole lot longer if something doesn't happen. I think we're on the verge of collapse, complete collapse. And you get on, you collapse, so it happens. Somebody else can have to take you over. Amen? Uh, so it may be, it may be. I don't know this for certain, but that's one scenario. We may not exist. Another Scenario is we may be wiped out, destroyed, maybe by a nuclear attack. That's a possibility, very good possibility. Uh, another is, is, is we could be taken over by other countries such as China or a coalition of nations. You know, you think about it, we, we currently have an invasion on our southern border which is just as real and deadly as the Russian invasion on Ukraine. Just as bad. In fact, it's probably worse. Amen? And you think about what's happening down there. And, and it could be solved overnight. It was done intentionally. And so, look what's happening to our country here. And so, friends, our, our nation hasn't faced a serious attack on our soil, thank God. Uh, I mean, we had 9-11 back in 2001. Then you had Pearl Harbor in December of, of 1941, and uh, that, that, that's really it. But if we get enough illegals into our nation as we have now, they could easily, in a lot of ways, take over this nation. And, friend, we, we've got such a weak leader and such weak government. You say, oh, you're just getting into politics. Well, call it what you want, but I'm preaching the Bible, and I'm just telling you the way it is. Amen? It's the way it is. That's the day and time we're living in. That's the nation we're living in. So we could be taken over. Uh, our military has been so downsized and, and weakened. So our nation's very venerable right now, right? Uh, here's another scenario that Joe uh, Rosenberg says, and a lot of people believe this might be it. America may be a part of a Western alliance under the other nations in the end under the Antichrist. That's a possibility. Amen? He's going to lead up a ten-nation confederacy. It'll, it, it'll be more than ten nations, but it, it's, it's going to be in ten different regions and it could be that America could be a part of that. You say, oh, that's great. Well, that's really not great. Amen? But it's got to be one of those things. I don't know what only God knows, but you think about us right now. It's so ser We're in such serious trouble financially as a nation. The national debt is now over 30 trillion, they say. Trillion. And we want to pay off everybody's student loans. Huh? 
What's that about? I remember when you had to work for things. Amen? That's how I grew up. Uh, and we want to give free housing and free medical care to everyone that's here illegally. Fans, I, again, we're, we're on the verge of a collapse. So, you think the other nations don't know this? Of course they know it. Russia knows this. China particularly, I believe, knows this. All the nations of the world know this. And the key to end times, though, by the way, I want to warn you, it's not the United States and what's going on here. The key is Israel in the Mideast. We keep our eye on, that, on them. Amen? We're, we're, we're not the key because we're, we're not even mentioned in the Bible, and I don't believe we're mentioned in end-time uh, prophecy. So there, there's going to be this Russian invasion in the end here of Israel. It's going to involve several nations. It's going to usher in a global war, a war on a global scale. And Jesus said over in Matthew 24, verse 6, he said, nations are going to rise against nations. Amen? And when will this happen? In the latter days, in the latter years, all right? And here's the final thing I want you to see tonight, and that's God's intervention. This is the good part. I like to end on a positive note when I can. Amen? And uh, Ezekiel 39. Now, I want to back up a minute. I'm not going to go over and read it, but if you, you might jot down Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 is Israel coming back together. It's the prophecy that Israel would be restored as a nation again. It's the prophecy of the dry bones. And that's about Israel being reestablished as a nation. Amen? That's Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 30, uh, 37, ex- 37, excuse me. Ezekiel 38, you have the battle of Gog and Magog where they're invaded. Then in chapter 9, we see God's intervention. All right? We're just going to read a few verses and point out some things about it. First of all, about this intervention, two thing, three things I want you to understand and we'll be through. Number one, it's going to be miraculous. It's going to be miraculous. Look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against God, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and I'll bring thee up on the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, I'll cause thy arrows to fall out of thy right hand, and thou shalt fall up on the mountains of Israel." Thou and all thy bands and all the people that's with thee. And I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, to the beast of the field to be devoured. And thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord. And when God says it, it's done. Amen? There's no, no arguing about it. No It's done. And look what he says. And I will send fire on Magog, verse 6, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles or the islands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, I want you to see that. That's the key theme all throughout the book of Ezekiel, by the way. They shall know. They shall know. They shall know. Shall know what? That I am the Lord. Amen? And he says, so I'll make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it's come, verse 8. And it's done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I've spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel will go forth and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields, the bucklers, the bows and arrows and and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. 
So they'll take no wood out of the field, neither shall they cut down any out of the forest, and they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord. And it will come to pass in that day that I'll give unto Gog a place there of graves, a burial place in Israel. In the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the, the, the noises of the passengers, and they shall... There they shall bury Gog and all the multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hamah Gog. And then verse 12 says, In seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them, and they may cleanse the land. And yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it will be to them renowned to that day that I will be glorified, saith the Lord. All right, God's intervention. Number one, I mentioned it's going to be miraculous. <laughs> If you, what we just read is miraculous, but if you read the whole chapter here, and I'd encourage you to do that when you get home tonight, if you're not familiar with it, uh, friends, listen, this war is gonna escalate, but eventually God's gonna intervene, and He's gonna intervene on Israel's behalf. Amen? And although Israel is going to be greatly outnumbered, think about it, surrounded with all of these nations that hate them, God is going to come down. God's going to intervene. And because of his intervention, as we say it back home, Israel is going to whoop them. Amen? They're going to prevail. They're going to prevail. So it's going to be miraculous. But I'll tell you something else. It's going to be devastating. It's going to be devastating. Again, if you read the rest of this chapter... Uh, again, author Joe Rosenberg, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, he said this, Israel at that time, and he was all familiar with their military and everything because he was in the cabinet with the prime minister. He says Israel will most likely implement the Samson operation. That's a code that they have, which will mean take everyone out, take all the enemies to the grave. That's, that's what it means, the Samson Code. Take all the enemies to the grave. But friends, God himself will go to war on behalf of his chosen people and nation and against their enemies, leaving devastating results. And bottom line, we don't mess with Israel. You're touching the apple of God's eye. Amen? That's why we need to stand with Israel. And then, and then finally, the last thing, the Lord will be glorified. <laughs> We've seen this over and over. And if you read all of Ezekiel, you'll see that over and over. The Lord will be glorified. Turn over to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And look what he says over here. I want to read, I want to read these few verses. Most of you are familiar with these verses and I've already touched on them this week. Verse 36, Jesus says, but of the day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of Son of Man be. In the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage till the day that Noah entered dark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one taken, the other left. Two women grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken up. Look at verse 44. Therefore be ye also what, church? Ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Man, you know, we, we are living in a day and time. I don't have to tell you this. 
friends, we, we are seeing signs that the Lord's coming could be near. Amen? There aren't any signs for the rapture, none. The rapture is going to be as a thief in the night. He's going to come in the air. He's going to pull his church out, his bride. He's going to take her home. There's going to be seven years of tribulation up on the earth, and then Jesus is going to return at the end of the tribulation back to the earth. Amen? And, friend, the signs we're seeing, the only signs are toward the second coming, towards his towards his return uh, back to the earth. But never before in all of history have things been happening like they are now. I've already mentioned there's such an intense hatred for Israel, unlike, unlike ever before. The nations of the world, some of the key players that are mentioned in the Bible, they're, they're lining up. Amen? There's talk of war and more war and rumors of war. Man, you watch the news, it'll just make you depressed, uh, but it's just every day, more and more. Amen? Russia and China have risen to world fame. The religion of Islam is trying to conquer and dominate the world. And friends, I believe the time is drawing nigh. I believe the stage is being set. I believe the actors are being put in place. And I believe these are very dangerous days that we're living in. In fact, the Bible calls them perilous times. Paul told Timothy, perilous times will come. They're difficult times. But at the same time, friend, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're saved, they're also very exciting times. You say, how's that, preacher? Well, because Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, <laughs> he said, lift up your head. He said, look up. He said, your redemption draweth nigh. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In just a few brief moments, we'll have our invitation. But before we do, I... I want to make a couple of appeals. Thank you for listening so intently. I know we've been here for a while. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff to cover in, the, in these type of messages here. So thank you for sticking around. But let, let, let's stay because the service is not over yet. And friend, the bottom line is just this. We just need to make sure we're ready, don't we? I mean, really, that's, that's it. We just need to make sure we're prepared. You say, well, preacher, I don't think the Lord will come in my lifetime. Well, he may not. He may not. We, we don't know when he's going to come. Uh, you know, we don't know. We just see things coming together, and uh, we don't know when he's going to come. He may not, or he may come in your lifetime or my lifetime. But either way, you've still got to be prepared. You've still got to be ready because any of us could drop dead before the night's over, and you'll stand before Jesus. Amen. So we need to make sure we're prepared, that we're ready to meet him. I, I got some good news for you. God loves you. God loves you. You say, preacher, you don't know me. You, you don't know much about me. No, I, I don't, but I don't have to. God already does, and I'm telling you, God loves you. I'm telling you, secondly, that Jesus died for you. He died. You say, what's that mean, preacher? What that means is he became the sacrifice for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world, even for those in Hamas, even for the Palestinian. Amen? He died for the whole world. And up on that cross, he took our sins in his body, and he was judged in our place. And God poured out his wrath upon his son up on that cross as he suffered and bled and died. The innocent died for the guilty. 
He paid the penalty for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's separation from God. And he paid that penalty, but the gift of God's eternal life. So God loves you. Christ died for you. I want to tell you something else about it. Christ died for you. That means you can have all your sins forgiven. Wouldn't that be something? You can have all your sins forgiven, and you can have eternal life. Another thing is Christ will change your life. He'll change your life. Listen, I got saved in 1983, and my life's not been the same ever since then. Has it been perfect? Of course not, (laughs) from a long shot. But my life's been changed. Amen? Christ changes life. And so, friend, you need to come to him tonight if you, if you haven't already done that. You see, he's the only way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't behave your way to heaven. Jesus said this in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say I'm a way to heaven. He didn't say I'm one of many ways to heaven. He didn't even say I'm the best way to heaven. He said, I'm the way, the truth life. So you have to come to Christ. And friend, it's either that, come to Christ, have your sins forgiven, have eternal life, or one day, friend, one day, if you reject Christ, then one day you'll spend eternity in hell, separated from God for eternity. Don't you want to receive Christ tonight as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight? I wonder how many of you this evening would say, man, I'm saved and I know that I'm saved. I've trusted Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And preacher, if I died right now, if I dropped dead right now, or if the rapture happened right now, either way, doesn't matter. I know I'd go to heaven, not because I deserve to, but because I'm saved, because I belong to Jesus. If you could say that, would you point a hand toward heaven for just a moment, then put it back down? Just point a hand toward heaven and say, I'm saved, I know I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Amen. Amen. God bless you, each one of you. You can put your hands down. Isn't it great to be able to put that hand up and say, I know, I know. Amen. That's 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 what matters the most. Lots of hands went up in here tonight, as I, I expected there would be. But there were a few that didn't, and you know who you are. And listen, friend, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come back there and get you. But listen, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you tonight. You could come to Christ tonight. We've been praying all week that the Holy Spirit would deal with people's hearts. You see, that's called conviction. And you can't get saved unless the Holy Spirit deals with you. And he convicts you. He draws you. He helps you see your lost condition. He helps you see the solution, which is Christ, to come to him. And I believe tonight there's some folks in this building tonight, you need to make the most important decision of your life, and that is come to Christ tonight. Trust him to be your Lord and Savior. Would you like to do that tonight? Would you be willing to admit, God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm just lost. I need Christ. Lord, I'm guilty. I've sinned against you. Secondly, would you be willing to repent? That means to turn, to turn from your sin, turn from yourself, turn to Christ. It's a change of mind, literally about your sins, about yourself, about God. Thirdly, would you be willing to believe, to place your faith and trust in Christ? Romans 10, 9 says it best, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Then verse 10 explains verse 9. 
It says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, it's not just a head belief. It's about trusting him with your heart. It literally, when you believe on Jesus, that means you surrender your life to him as Lord and Master and Savior of your life. Believing he's the Son of God, believing he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, believing he rose from the dead, and you place your faith in him. You say, preacher, I don't understand everything about it. Neither did I when I got saved. But I knew I was a great sinner, and I was told he was a great Savior, which he is. And I called out to him in faith, and he saved me. Would you like to receive Christ tonight? John one twelve says, to those that received him, to them he gave power to become children of God. Would you like to receive him? Romans 10.13 says, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad he's a whosoever kind of God. So as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed right now, Brother Tracy will be standing down here. I'd like to lead you in a short and simple prayer and listen You don't need me to do that. You can just come right now and tell Brother Tracy, Tracy, I want to be saved. But a lot of people want somebody to lead them, and I want to give you that chance right there in your pew. You can get saved sitting in your pew. And the reason I like to do that, I got saved sitting in a church pew. And right now, I'm going to pray out loud, and you can pray with me. And listen, it's not the words that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. It's trusting him that saves you. This prayer is just a matter of simply confessing to Christ that you're a sinner, that you need him, confessing him as Lord, and inviting him to come into your life. That's, that, that's, that's all it is. And so just say something like this. You can pray it quietly. You can whisper it. God can hear a whisper all the way from heaven. Or you can pray out loud. Or you can come out and fall on the altar and call upon the Lord. Or you can come take Brother Tracy's hand and say, Brother Tracy, I, I need Jesus. You say, what do I say, preacher? I wouldn't know what to say. Just say something like this. Say, Lord God, I know that I'm lost. I admit that I'm a sinner, and I need you. Lord, right now, I turn from my sins, and I turn to Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead on the third day. And Lord Jesus, right now, I surrender my life to you by faith. I invite you to come into my heart, come into my life, save my soul, forgive me of all my sins, and change my life forever. Lord, help me to live for you the rest of my life. Help me to never be ashamed of you starting tonight, and I pray this in Jesus' name. As our heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, listen to me. I'll make one more appeal here in just a moment. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, 33, whoever confesses me before men, I'll confess before the Father who's in heaven. He said, whoever denies me before men, I'll deny before my Father. You're not ashamed of Jesus, are you? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Every person Jesus called himself, he called them publicly. And he died publicly on a cross for you. You say, why would you tell me all that, preacher? Simply this, if you trusted Christ tonight, man, we want to know about it. That's the greatest decision of your life. And we want to rejoice with you. The Bible says heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. One. One is important to God. And so, friend, I want to ask you tonight. Again, I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just trying to help you. If you called up on the Lord tonight and asked him to save you, or maybe you didn't pray with me at all, that's all right, but you say, I want to be saved tonight, would you just slip up your hand for a moment and put it back down if you did? 
Jesus said, confess me. Anybody? Anybody? Just put your hand up and say, I, I called on the Lord, preacher. I asked Christ to come into my life. And here's what you need to do. When we stand in a few moments, just get out of your seat, whether you prayed or not. Just get out of your seat and walk down the aisle, take Brother Tracy's hand and say, Pastor, say these three words, I need Jesus. Just say those three words, I need Jesus. You do that, and he'll lead you to Christ right down here in this altar. Now, here's my final appeal tonight. Most of you here tonight are already believers. You know Christ is your Lord and Savior. And you you, know, you already understand we are we are living in the last days. And I'm sure you've got burdens on your heart just like I've got on my heart. You might have children that are not saved. You might have grandchildren that aren't saved yet. You have friends, you have neighbors who aren't saved yet, and, and your heart's burdened for them. And maybe tonight you want to come and just humble yourself and kneel down here in these front pews and bring their name before the Lord and pray for them. Or maybe you need to come tonight and say, Preacher, I'm saved and I love Jesus, but I've got to admit there was a time in my life when I walked closer to the Lord than I am right now. You may not be out in the world and living in some terrible sin, but you know something's not right in your heart. There's been a shift in your heart. You have drifted from the Lord. You no longer have that fire. You no longer have that zeal that you once had. You're no longer passionate about souls like you once were. Whatever the case may be, not passionate about the word of God or prayer. Why don't you come tonight, humble yourself, kneel down here and tell that to God and just say, God, I love you. I know you. But I need a fresh touch from you. I need revival in my heart and life tonight. Would you be willing to do that? You just come tonight and say, I need revival. I need a fresh touch from God. I want revival in my life. I want revival in my home. I want revival in my community. Then finally, I want to say this. I want to say this. You know, preaching on the end time events and such, why there's a lot of, a lot of doom and gloom involved with it, as we saw tonight, most definitely. Still at the same time, friend, the Bible says when Christ comes, it's the blessed hope for the believer. It's the blessed hope. And I don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry. No one knows. But it's the blessed hope that one day we'll see him, whether he comes in your lifetime or not. Amen? But the blessed hope. So as God spoke to your heart about something tonight, you just come this evening. Father, we commit the invitation to you right now. I know we've gone a long time tonight. We've had a lot to look at. But Father, I can only speak to their ears. I trust the Spirit of God and the Word of God to speak to hearts. Lord, I pray for those here tonight who aren't saved or they're not certain if they're saved. Lord, help them to get up. Help them to swallow their pride. Help them to just get up, get over themselves and come and take the pastor's hand and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. Lord, they may be counting on religion or church membership or, or a number of other things to get them to heaven, but help them understand they got to only count on Jesus. And I pray they'd come tonight. And I pray for believers that just want to come tonight, humble themselves in their altars and do business with you. Father, I pray the Spirit of God, I pray the fires of heaven would literally fall upon this place tonight. Have your way in people's hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. 
For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.